Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show, uh, where we're a few days removed from the 2020 draft now. We've had some time to take a breath to consider all the moves that were made, and we are going to break them all down for you. Responding to you on Twitter, including some Packers fans defending their draft. Are they right to do so? And we'll discuss just how it all worked doing the virtual draft for the first time ever. Should they consider just making day three a virtual draft anyway? This is the Gridiron Show. Okay, hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin here coming up shortly. You'll get the thoughts from our actual draft experts, uh, Matt Sherry and uh, and Simon Clancy. Uh, Matthew and Simon will be with you momentarily. But just a reminder, we've partnered with Betfred for all of our 2020 NFL draft action. Well, now that we're past the draft, you can get in there and start looking at your markets for the season. Terms and conditions apply with all of it. And, of course, be gambleaware.com. Org. Uh, without further ado, there's no point in me rambling on. Uh, we've left it to the experts to discuss this. So, Matthew Sherry, Simon Clancy, take it away, boys. Should that be Bake It Away Toys? Thanks very much, Will. I am back here with Simon Clancy one last time as we begin to reflect on the 2020 NFL Draft. Reflecting with a little bit of a come down side. We've both messaged each other and spoken about this over the last couple of days. It's sad that it's all over to a degree, but let's let's break it down and um, and at least kind of create a little bow on the end of the process. Just just having a look at your draft grades, which are available in the in the Gridiron Weekly magazine. Um, th- let's talk about the negative first, and then we'll end on on some positives. But I think you are, as you alluded to after the first round show just baffled by what the Green Bay Packers did. And I guess compounded by what they did after the first round as well. It's not like they made the Jordan Love pick and then improved everything beyond there to, to help Aaron Rodgers. It, it felt like the whole the whole of their selection weekend was really a bit of a slap in the face for, for Rodgers. Frankly, Matt, I've moved on to 2021 anyway. So <laughs> um, no, I, I completely agree. I, I just thought it was one of the, the more head-scratching drafts, I think, in recent memory. You, you take a 13-3 and roster, which is what they are, and essentially you're saying to them that, you know what, we're not going to really do anything to improve what's on the team already. We're going to essentially bring in a load of backup players, which is what they are. I don't, I don't see a single year one starter from their nine picks. They pick no wide receivers at all, which to me is a total abdication of duty from Brian Gutenkunst. You know, Jordan Love, I, I, I can defend the Jordan Love decision, um, as we talked about the other day, and, you know, I, he could, could easily be a star down the road. I've liked him for, for 18 months. Um, but what it does is it puts Rodgers on notice, and it puts Rodgers on notice without the help that he needs. We've talked about it both on the podcast and away from it privately about the same thing happening in Seattle with John Schneider and Russell Wilson. You know, I just don't understand why when you have a, an all-pro, all-of-fame quarterback, why you just would not, especially an aging one or an older one, why you would not surround them with as much talent as possible. You know, and look, I'm sure AJ Dillon will help out with Aaron Jones, but you didn't need to, re- you don't need to replace Aaron Jones. You know, Aaron Jones had a Pro Bowl caliber year. What you needed was people to help out Rodgers on the outside, to take the pressure off Devontae Adams, um, you know, to, to take the double coverage, you know, every single team in the league rolls a safety over Devontae Adams, and it's to his absolute credit that he catches the passes that, that he does, you know. Can Joseph DeGuara and, um, uh, and last year's fourth-round pick, Jay, uh, Jay Sternberger, can they provide 
uh, the sort of relief that Rodgers will need from the tight end position is Equinemius at Brown going to come back from injury is Marcus Valdez Scandling going to become the player that people thought he was going to be two years ago I mean we've seen no signs of it so essentially what you're doing is you're now waiting on Alan Lazard you know a receiver we both like coming out of, our, out of Iowa State but essentially Alan Lazard has now got to step up to be the number two and there's a series of guys with significant question marks about around them that are there to help out Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, I think it would have been difficult for Rodgers sat there at the weekend in Malibu watching most of his rivals get better around him and, uh, and the Packers seemingly taking three or four steps back. I have got a, a counterpoint here, not from myself, but from a guy on Twitter who's actually just tweeted Gridiron. I did send him an initial reply, but I will now circle back around and say that we're discussing his question which is he looks at the New Orleans Saints uh, and he's a Packers fan. I think we should preface it by saying that. And the fact that they are about to sign Jamie's Winston and is asking the question is, and, and also the fact that they didn't, they didn't invest heavily in the, in the skill positions around, around um, Drew Brees this year and asking why the, why the reaction isn't the same. Now, my point there is that I, I think that, the Saints have, have vastly superior weapons. Um, you know, for a start, I think their offensive line is a lot steadier now, especially after the Cesar Ruiz pick. Um, Green Bay's offensive line has historically been very good, but I, I don't think we should ignore the fact that they've lost their traditional start and right tackle this offseason. Um, he's quibbled with that and and basically done a like-for-like like comparison. But, I mean, to compare Devontae Adams to Michael Thomas for a start, to me, feels... As much as I like Devontae Adams, you're comparing him to the best receiver in football and the most productive receiver in football. Uh, I don't think you can write off how important it is to have a, a premium tight end in in Jared Cook. And then he, he's discussed the comparison between Aaron Jones and Alvin Kamara. Again, I'm an Aaron Jones fan, but with the best will in the world, certainly in the passing game, I, I would put Kamara a, a notch ahead of that. Um, how, how would you respond to that? I mean, my other point was I, I said that the Saints' defence is vastly superior and can see he's come back with, with a statistical breakdown. I mean, for me, it's not necessarily about statistics. Their defence is just better. It's more talented. It's a less boom or bust defensive scheme, which I think is one of the big things that lets Green Bay down. I mean, I, I like Mike Pettin and I actually like the defence, but that is the kind of defensive scheme, as Rex Ryan found out at the back end of his tenure with the Jets, that really requires elite talent at certain positions that I'm not sure Green Bay have. So... So, so can you see that the argument from Packers fans that that maybe it, it is a little bit outraged in some places and not in others? I mean, my overriding point is that, I, as I've said on this podcast multiple times, is I don't think Green Bay last year were really a 13-3 and team. Obviously, they were by a record, but I, I, what happened to them in the NFC title game is something that, that I certainly predicted throughout the season. The Saints, on the other hand, I think were a better team than where they actually ended up. Talent-wise, you know, they shouldn't have lost to the Vikings in the playoffs. And I still look at that, that roster and think that the Saints are potentially the most talented team in football. And I certainly wouldn't yeah, say I that think, about Green Bay. No, I think, you, uh, I think you look at it two ways. First of all, the Saints had four selections. They took three players in Cesar Ruiz, uh, Zach Bourne and uh, Adam Troutman, who were better than anybody that... that um, the Green Bay took not called Jordan Love and Jordan Love is going to help Green Bay for, for three seasons so there's that I think coaching plays into it I think Sean Payton and his coaches do a better job than Green Bay and their coaches 
Um, I think the Saints, although on record and the distance that they travelled in the playoffs last year, didn't go as far as Green Bay. I think generally New Orleans are, are a better team. You look defensively, you look from the back uh, upwards. You know, both both teams have got an outstanding young lockdown corner. Um, you know, uh, uh, Alexander, Jair Alexander and Marshall Lattimore. But then you look at some of the other players that, that the Saints have in their secondary that probably just lift them a little bit above above uh, those in the pack, especially C.J. Gardner-Johnson, for example. You throw in a linebacker with, you know, uh, Demario Davis. Zach Bourne is obviously really going to help them up front. You know, there's lots of fascinating players. Sheldon Rankins, Cam Jordan, they were obviously able to keep David on Yamata. Um, Marcus Davenport really developing. Yep, I know that Green Bay have got great, you know, the, the Smith boys. Kenny, I absolutely love Kenny Carter. I'm a big, huge fan of the Green Bay Packers, don't, don't get me wrong. But I think offensively, you, you just look, if Cesar Ruiz comes in at right guard, as, as is the plan, and plays to the level that we think he can play to, then you are looking at an offensive line of Teron Armstead, one of the top three or four tackles in the league, Andrus Pete, um, Eric McCoy, who was a you know already a top ten, top ten centre as a rookie, Cesar Ruiz, and then Ryan Manchik on the right, who's a really good right tackle. Then you look at you know you got Larry Warford, you got Will Clapp, you know you've got uh, Calvin Throckmorton in their draft at the weekend as you know significant backups. At receiver, you've got Emmanuel Sanders, you've got Michael Thomas, you've got Deontay Harris, who they, who they wove in as the season wore on, Lil Jordan Humphrey, who they like, Tommy Lee Lewis, who caught part of Traquan Smith. At I, mean, I think the, the key thing to mention is those guys, I mean, obviously Sanders is a huge addition as well, which, which really shouldn't be ignored. I mean, he is immediately, always to me, Emmanuel Sanders. He has gone from, at one time, I think he was very much in that category as the notch down, but basically a very good number one receiver, not quite elite, but certainly in the very good mix. He's one of the best number twos in the league still, I think. Um, yeah. I didn't see anything in San Francisco that suggested he'd taken any step back in terms of his, his ability. And, and, and I, I don't think you can underestimate how big a move that already is. With the diminishing arm strength of, of Drew Brees, what Emmanuel Sanders does best is run those short and intermediate routes over the middle and, and to the sidelines, which is, you know, manna from heaven for a quarterback like Brees. And then you talk about, you know, Jack, Jared Cook, you've added Adam Trotman, and then you look at the running backs, you've got Kamara, who is unmatched in terms of what he does, uh, and Latavius Murray, who would be a, could be a starter for, for many other teams, and you throw in Taysom Hill as well. Um, just to me, I just don't. I, I think New Orleans. Uh, it's okay to criticise Green Bay without having to drag other teams in into the mix. I just think what the Packers did. You know, I don't think that that um, I don't think that um, Brian Gutenkunst and Matt Lafleur will be sitting in their offices at Lambeau and we're looking at a beautiful atrium today, thinking we did an amazing job this weekend. I think they'll be thinking, crikey, we. We didn't do a great job. But, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, and I'm sure they won't because it's not the Green Bay way, but there's a part of me that, that must, in Brian Gutenkunt's head, be thinking, is it worth giving Antonio Brown's agent a call? Have I really screwed this so badly? I mean, where is Brown's head at? Because, you know, are we uh, are Green Bay at that point yet? I, I think it's unlikely that they ever would contemplate it, but I bet it's gone through Brian Gutenkunt's head. Yeah, and and I, and I think the final point to me is the one you make on coaching. I mean, a lot of those second and third, well, third and fourth receivers are not necessarily household names, but Sean Payton does a great job of, of you. They're, they're the kind of guys who work in that scheme. He does a great job of getting them open, so therefore they become more productive players. And we've not seen that. We've not seen that ability with Matt Lafleur anywhere. I mean, we certainly didn't see it in Tennessee before he got the job in Green Bay. I, I personally thought when he got the job. 
he was over promoted. He did a good job in year one. There's nobody that can deny that. But but I do, I do, I do ultimately worry about. I, I think he'll struggle to back it up ultimately, and we'll see how that goes. But I think the other point that you make is. We should not underestimate how valuable a piece on that offence Taysom Hill is. I mean, you know, he doesn't fit into any of these traditional pockets, but as a weapon, I mean, he was the best Saints player on the field in the playoff game that they lost. He was the reason that they didn't that they stayed in the game. I mean, you can't discount that just because he doesn't fit into the the traditional bracket of, of what a quarterback of what a offensive weapon is in the NFL. Hundred percent, and I just think I think Green Bay. Uh, unfortunately, I think Green Bay are doomed for a significant fall uh, this season. If there is a season, I, I just think you you know you need to surround brilliant players with players that can help. You know, especially those that are. And it, you know, you know, you only have to look at what happened in New England. Um, you know, Tom Brady was crying out for for, for extra weapons, and, and really and truly, you know, they got they they won that last Super Bowl against the Rams purely on an amazing defense. And, a, a, and a, a, an incredible throw from Tom Brady and an incredible catch from, from from Rob Gronkowski in the last few minutes of the game to set up that Sony Michelle touchdown. You only had to look at New England last year to realise that offensively, with a 41-year-old quarterback without Gronkowski anymore, that you know that they just hadn't done enough of a job to continue to surround Tom with the talent that he needed. And it's, again, it's okay. They've had an incredible run, but sometimes yeah. they just come to an end. But, you know, Aaron has clearly still got three, four, he wants to play for, for, for three, four years. You wouldn't look at Aaron Rodgers last season and think, well, he's destined for the scrappy. You think still a really, really good quarterback, you know? So, you know, we saw him alive in the flesh in the first, first week of the season. And it was a tough, grind it out game but boy he made some throws in that you know in that game he had a deep throw to Marcus Valdez Scandley off his back foot in the early in the game and we were just like in absolute awe and just think how how is it possible to do that how is it possible you look at some of those games down the stretch in the playoffs and late on you know third and fourth downs in big games down the stretch in the season to get them into the into the playoffs again you just think superhuman so just give the guy the talent because he's good enough and that defence is good enough to get them over the line. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree. I think the New England point's a good one. And the, the difference being that New England were very clearly at the end of a cycle having won some Super Bowls, whereas this is really a continuation of frustration. So from Rodgers' position, he doesn't even have that luxury of coming off three titles in four or five years. You know, that it's, it's, it's absolute frustration. And that, that time, more than any, you would think, I mean, I do see the argument with the love pick to to try and encourage him a bit more and push him on. And, and people can deny it, but it definitely worked with Brady, with Garoppolo. But I think to then look at what they did in the later rounds, to me, almost baffles me more than than that. Let's talk a little bit about the periods because it's a, it's a draft that me and you have gone back and forth on. I, I'm not in love with the names in the draft by any means, but I am kind of in love with the fact that it felt like a Patriots draft to me. Which is not something that I'm disappointed about because I've seen this, I've seen this process happen before. You know, if I was starting from scratch, um, I and I didn't know Bill Belichick was, well, I'd maybe be concerned. But I, I've seen these kind of drafts before, and I've seen them. They often be the ones that are, are most successful for them. Um, where do you think they're at right now, New England? I mean, obviously, I have a bias in this, so I'd like your opinion on it. I've said to you for for. Three months, I think that Jared Stidham is is a guy that they really like, and, and I thought if anything, you, you pointed this out in your grades as well that, that Stidham might have been the biggest winner of the whole weekend. 
Yeah, I think he was. Look, they passed. They, they had five opportunities essentially to take Love, Eason, Morgan from. You know, certainly one opportunity to take Love, four opportunities to take Eason, and five for, for Morgan, six were from, and they didn't do it. So clearly, that's a huge statement of intent um, in uh, in, in Sidham. They they didn't sign Brian Lewerke, and it wouldn't surprise me if he made the roster. Um, who is a very interesting backup quarterback and a sort of very New England kind of quarterback. Um, I take your point about the New England drafts and the styling of drafts. I, I think my point would be it's okay to do that when you've got the talent that you have and the, the momentum and the, the sense of – it's like Manchester United back in the day under Alex Ferguson. You know, you could go to Old Trafford and if you got a draw, you'd be thrilled, but you knew full well that probably even if it was close, you were going to lose in the last few minutes. New England just didn't lose games. They didn't lose games at home. They just ground out victories. Even if they lost, you know, even if they went two and two in in September, <clears throat> you knew full well that come season's end they'd be grinding in the playoffs. And you know, if you were, you know, if you were not a New England fan, seeing New England being knocked out of the playoffs was usually a, a good thing. So I I just think this year it needed to be different. And I think stylistically, what they've done is stick to the old formula. And look, that may work, but it just feels like. Time is up, maybe. You know, I just don't think that, you know, the two tight ends, you know, drafting these two tight ends in a really bad year for tight ends was necessarily the play. Um, I think, you know, I thought I like Kyle doing it, but it's an enormous step up from Lenoir Ryan to, to being the centerpiece of that secondary, which is clearly what he's going to be. He's going to be the Devin McCourty replacement, the Patrick Chung, you know, depending on how they view him. But he's got an awful lot to do to step up to, to be that kind of secondary captain, which is the long-term plan. Clearly, uh, a big fan of the Josh Uche, um selection. I think he's a perfect fit, and you're going to pair him up with a former teammate, former Michigan teammate, um, who they drafted last year in Chase Winovich. So, so you know, that's that's going to be fascinating off the edge, and his, his job will be to replace Carl Van Noy. But I just think generally, you know, doubling up on tight ends in a bad year for the position was, was questionable. Um, and whilst he might offer, you know, the new starting quarterback a couple of security blankets, they've got to get open. Um, and that for me would be would be a really big question. Oh, and they drafted the kicker with a Nazi tattoo, which is um, you know. I'm not sure it's quite. I'm day. not sure it's quite Nazi, but yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't what you wanted. To I mean, when, he, when he kicks, when he puts a field goal wide right, there's going to be some fantastic reaction on social media. I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, far, um, should I say far far right rather than wide the, right? The. Um, I think that it felt a little bit like Bill Belichick's big F you to anybody who criticised him. Yeah, many questioned him. Yeah, and you know, it, it, was, it was the one thing I can criticise Belichick for in the last few years as being drafting some questionable safeties in the second round who have ultimately not worked out. We, the, the first pick is, is that monumental risk at safety. Everybody thinks it's the greatest wide receiver draft of all time. They have a bit of a need at receiver. Not as much as I think people think doesn't draft one. Uh, it's Build as potentially the worst tight end draft we've ever seen. He takes two. I mean, it is. It was very much the bill at his contrarian most, wasn't it? And and you know that might work out, and it, and it might not. But it will be fascinating. Look, if, it, if they drafted Jordan Love in, say where they were, drafted Jordan Love in round one, taking Josh Uche in round two, using another one of their second round picks to take, uh, you know, one of the receivers that was still on the board, not Chanel, but one of the receivers that were in the back end of the second round, I can't even think of a name, you know, or someone like Devin Duvernay in round three. Or even you know, Kendra Hill, who I wanted all along in round yeah, seven. You know, um, somebody like Adam Troutman, for example, I just, you know, I just kind of feel like that would have been 
that would have been the play. I, I just think it, it just felt a little bit like it did. I think you summed it up perfectly. It was the FU. This is my show. And, you know, Tom might not be here, but we're still doing things my way. That's what it felt like. Well, interestingly, um, just one thing that we're going to try and do today is, is kind of break down some of the teams from a bigger picture point of view. We did partner with Betfair for the for the 2020 draft, and we're going to we're going to discuss a little bit about the odds and where this leaves some teams in terms of conditions apply. 18 plus only big gamblerware.org. But the Patriots now, I mean, this is this is unseen territory. They are 25 to one to win the Super Bowl. But I did read also that they are still the favourites in the AFC East, which, I mean, that is just entirely the Belichick effect, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. I, I, if I was if I was a, a better without my period hat on, I mean, you you think that the Bills in particular are, are just a, a wonderful bet right now to take that division. It doesn't, it, it, it feels like they were already pretty close last season with Tom Brady and the Bills. Definitely. I think what needs to happen, and I totally agree, I think the Bills should be the, the, the favourite to win the AFC East. What needs to happen is that one of those teams needs to consistently across a couple of seasons go into Gillette Stadium and stomp down the Patriots because that never happens. You know, the Dolphins occasionally managed to get one across the line. You know, you look at the back end of last season, but it did feel like the, the, the cart was already being upset, you know, last season. Everybody talked about the Wildcat game, but Christ, that was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. You know, that hasn't happened for an awful long time. Miami occasionally beat, you know, I think we pretty much split the series down in Miami every season. Um, but look, teams just need to, the fear factor needs to be taken out of Gillette Stadium and it needs to be done by a Buffalo Bills team led by Josh Allen who needs to go in there and stomp on the Patriots 38-10, 38-16 and just say, you know what, there's a changing of the guard in the AFC East, this is our division now. And until that happens, until Josh Allen can plant the figurative flag at, at, at the 50-yard line at Gillette Stadium, that's not going to happen. That demon has to be exorcised for somebody in the AFCs to take over. And Bill's not going to give that up easily. No, absolutely not. And let's just quickly talk while we're on that, just looking at these odds again. The Super Bowl fourth favourites now are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, they are level with the Saints. They are the next best team to the 49ers in the NFC. I mean, again, that is very much the Tom Brady effect. Where where do you sit on the Saints, uh, on the Buccaneers after, after this weekend? It felt like if you could have dreamed up the perfect first round for them, it happened the way they wanted with them, bringing the tackle in, they got Gronk in, they got Brady in. Is this going to be a glorious, late, unexpected chapter written? Or do you maybe see something whereby everybody is now over? I mean, particularly with Gronk, I think, are people overrating and thinking about these guys in their prime? And are they a little bit past their best to, to do what's being touted right now? I can understand why they're loading up. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a false dawn because essentially you reply, you're relying on a guy and as amazing as Brady has been. Let's not mistake the fact that he is a declining force. He is. And he's 41 years old. I mean, I don't know when he's 42. No, he's, he's 43 uh, in a month. 43, so he's, he's, okay. He's 43 years old. You know, I mean, let's, let, let's just take a step back and consider that for a second. He is 43 years old. You know, he is... He's going to be handing the ball, uh, you know, to a running back in in Raymond Calais, who is 21 years younger than him. You know, and I think we need to be aware of that. Um, Worst is going to have to come in and be outstanding for, from day one. You know, he's going to have to be outstanding from day one. Did they get in talent? They certainly got, you know, Mike Evans, 
fantastic runner. How good he is. Chris Godwin, you know, absolutely sensational last season. Uh, I love the I love the drafting of Tyler Johnson. You know, not quick, but he Brady's going to love the way he runs routes. He will always be open. Uh, I, I thought that was a, a terrific move. You know, a tight end. You know, Brayton and OJ Howard would get it done anyway. You didn't need Rob Gronkowski, but obviously Gronk comes in with that mindset, that winner's mentality that will never be outworked. But is it the same Rob Gronkowski? He's been away for 18, what, 16 months. You know, he's lost significant weight. He's not been trained to be an NFL. The other big thing with Gronk that people are ignoring, and we haven't really broken this down yet, so it's a great time to do it. And and nobody watches the periods closer than I do. He broke down in New England at the end because he started following the TB12 method and he lost all of his explosiveness. Like, that was... Everybody talked about how big Gronk was and how nobody could, could, could beat him to the catch. His big strength is that he ran 4-5 at that size down the middle of the field and nobody could catch him either. And I think that's what he lost. And as much as our, our abiding memories are those... I mean, you mentioned the Super Bowl run. I, I still think of that game in Kansas City where it was... I wish they'd all retired at that point looking back because that was the last dance for Gronk, Edelman and, and Brady. Those big players in fourth quarter overtime in that AFC title game. So we think about that moment, we think about the catch at the end of the Super Bowl, but the reality is that Gronk was not the same guy throughout that season. I think, yeah, I think he scored three touchdowns all season. I mean, he, he just... And also, something else I've not heard anybody mention, he suffered a major injury in that Super Bowl. He had to have a load of fluid drain from his quad because of a contusion that he, he suffered in that game. I mean, I, I think it's a lot to expect. Maybe the yeah. air out heals the body, but I think it's a lot to expect. Too much defense, outside of providing somebody that he knows. And then I think... Exactly, yeah. And I think defensively, you're, you're then, re, you know, you're relying on Shaq Barrett to come back with another monster season. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul is a year older. You know, and Danica Tsu is a year older. Vita Vea is a great nose tackle, but, you know, he's not, he's not, influencing the game in terms of sacks and those sorts of things. He's essentially a two-down run stuffer. I worry about the running back position. You know, Ronald Jones has been erratic, I think. They obviously drafted Keyshawn Vaughan. They drafted Raymond Calais, but Calais is a third-down back. Linebackers, you know, Devin White, um, Levonta David remains one of the most underrated players of a generation. But there's an awful lot of youth in that secondary as well. You know, there's there's huge upside to Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy-Bunting. And I love Antoine Winfield. MJ Stewart, but you, you, I, I do not look at that team and think that's a Super Bowl team with a 43-year-old quarterback and a, and a tight end who's, who's enjoyed you know, the high life and smoking weed for the past 16 months uh, rather than you know, playing the game. He's, um, I think the Buccaneers fans are in for a bit of a shock because I still don't, I don't even see them as favourites in their division, frankly. Yeah, that's the tricky part. I mean, two interesting elements to me. One, I do think at the end, Ego played a big part of it with Brady, and I think he wants to be on an offence that's putting up 30, 40 points a game still. I actually think that he was better off in terms of winning championships with what Belichick seemed like he was trying to mould from, which was a, an offence that could control the game and control the ball. Maybe after have two or three games where it really pushed the ball uh, around the field, but largely it was built around the defence. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, for me... The one thing I would say on the Buccaneers that they have that I think people underestimate is really good coaching. I, I, I think Arians is one of the best three coaches in the NFL. I think if you look at his head coaching, I mean, he's won head coach, he's won coach of the year twice in in a very short period of time for the amount of seasons he's done it. I think basically every year he's eked out the maximum out of any team he's coached. And I also think as much as the defense concerns me, I think that Todd Bowles is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. He was. 
Obviously, it didn't work out for him at the Jets, although I do also think he might be the kind of guy who would be a nice second-try head coaching candidate as well because he started well at the Jets. But I think when you look at how he coordinates defence in Arizona and, and how he did with the Bucks last year, I think he's outstanding. So I, I do think they have that in their favour. They are undoubtedly going to be the swing storyline of the season where it can go either way and, and, and it'll be fascinating to, to watch them. Let's talk about the other big move on draft weekend, which was against around the quarterback. I read your grades today, and I understand your point about why Jalen Hurts to Philadelphia makes sense as it relates to Carson Wentz. My observation would be that the only way the pick works out is if Wentz gets injured. Now, there's a good chance he does, but that is really the only way this can work. You know, you've invested a second-round pick, Howie Roseman has said they are in the quarterback development business. My question would be that if if Wentz plays a lot, how often is Hertz? Well, when are you going to ever get Hertz on the field enough to get more than a second round pick back from? That's what that's what worries me. I understand that the the Doug Peterson is from that Green Bay system that has always drafted quarterbacks, but they've generally drafted them in the late rounds, not in the second round, with a view to to trading them. So. Yeah, the Jalen Hurts one for me, a guy who is such a project who I don't think is ready to come in and be a, a backup who plays next season anyway, it, it felt a little bit baffling to me and I know the Philly fans aren't necessarily happy about it either. I think you've got to equate it the same way that you did with Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, and being drafted by New England. You know, or I don't see it as necessarily any different and, and I think what you take in terms of the rawness of Jalen, I think you add with the, the level of competition that, that Jimmy played against. Um, whether or not it was, to, you know, did that feel like a move to put to, to put Tom on notice? Did it feel like they were drafting the future? I mean, I think, and Peter King made a very interesting point, uh, having spoken to Harry Roseman, that for a team like the Eagles, the backup quarterback is in the top 10 most important players on your team when you have a quarterback like Carson Wentz who simply cannot stay healthy. Now, he simply cannot stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy, and if he can... If he proves he can stay healthy for the next three seasons, then you do what the, the Patriots did with Jimmy G and you, you move Jalen Hurts, a guy that's then developed under Doug Peterson, a guy that's developed in that offensive system behind Carson Wentz. We know what a, a good kid Carson is, what a good leader he is. Um, I just think if, if, you know, if Wentz goes down, you've got to have that sort of security blanket for Jalen Hurts. I, I find that a justifiable move. And I think um, Eagles fans were complaining about the fact that, you know, they, they, hadn't brought in wide receivers. They all wanted receiver help. And look, they drafted, they, they drafted Jalen Rager. They, they drafted John Hightower from Boise State. They then traded for Marquise Goodwin. I'm not sure what else. You know, there seemed to be a lot of um, irritation that they didn't draft Justin Jefferson. Um, but for me, I just think, you know, they've still got Greg Ward. They've still got Alshon Jeffrey for however long that, that may be. Obviously, JJ Arcega Whiteside is going to continue to develop. They've got two fantastic tight ends. Um, they're, they're pretty well set up. As, you know, Andre Dillard's going to come on um, with Lane Johnson, so they're bookended at tackle. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not, not entirely sure what Eagles fans wanted. It's a tough yeah, I mean, crowd. In, in terms of the offense, I don't think there's, a, there's, there's anything to complain about. I mean, they've, they've invested a huge amount in the position over the two years. For me, it's more just a, could you get a, a really good defensive player in the second round and, and I just wonder whether is Hertz going to be ready to be back up in year one even? And then I, I, I guess for me, I just wonder what the long-term plan with it is. Maybe the plan is that 
if Carson Wentz is, continues to be injury prone for the next three years, that this guy could be the potential starter and we trade Wentz. I mean, that I can get on board with. And they can't come out and say that, but perhaps that's the thing. Yeah. I can get on board with that more than the idea of Hertz coming in as, and being a backup for, for four seasons and then off you go. Because I think, you know, I think you've got to look at the development that Jalen Hurts made from high school to Alabama and then from Alabama to Oklahoma. You know, look, we, we had a discussion. You and I had a discussion. It might have been yeah. on a flight somewhere. It might have been in a car in the States. You know, when Hertz initially won the national, uh, when Hertz initially went to the national championship game and then lost to, to Clemson. And we talked about what a fascinating um, study Hertz would I'll be. T- I'll, tell you, to- I'll tell you when we discussed it after we were at the game in Starkville, Mississippi State. You won, okay. won, them, won them the game right at the end. That's right. On the sideline watching right. what happened. And- that's right. We, we then discussed what a fascinating study Jalen Hurts would be when it came time to you know, developing NFL. Look, this was three years ago, and the NFL has changed even in three years. You know, the Jalen Hurts back then is a very different Jalen Hurts, and I think he went and worked under Lincoln Riley, developed his passing ability. Look, he's not the finished article as a passer at all. We accept that. He would be the first to accept that. But I think if you can look at the, the steps that he made to uh, change his game, the steps that he made to tailor his throwing in terms of accuracy, uh, delivery point, those sorts of things, um, I, I don't I don't have an issue there. And look, if the if the let's be realistic, if the Eagles, let's say the Eagles are ten and five, and it's the last game of the season that they need to win, and it's fourteen all with two minutes left against the Cowboys and, and Carson Wentz has got the ball at his own nine with a minute 50 to go and then he, he breaks his leg or he breaks his arm or something so he gets hurt and has to come out of the game. Do you want Jalen Hurts coming in at that point or do you want Nate Sudfeld coming in at that point? I'd or let's say, they're down by, let's say they're down by three. Yeah, I'd probably you know, Jalen Hurts. I, I don't want Jalen Hurts too and I don't, a, you know, I don't think there's an honest Philadelphia Eagles fan who would say that they wanted Nate Sudfeld. I don't even think Nate Sudfeld would say he wanted Nate Sudfeld. <laughs> so, uh, and I think that's the way you've got to look at it. You know, and look, he may not ever get used as a wide receiver, as a quarterback. And, and if that's the case, then that's a great thing for the Eagles because it means that Carson Wentz has stayed healthy. But if he does come in, well, at that point, you'll be saying, okay, I can totally get on board now with the, with the mindset of why we did that. And now, finally, to wrap this up, let's, let's just pick out I'm going to pick out a couple of draft class. I knew you were going to pick as the one who, you, who your favourite was, so I'm not going to go with them. Um, two I really liked, the Denver Broncos. I, I just think it, it everything they're doing makes a lot of sense to me. I was quite high on the Broncos last year. I think Fangio will prove to be a good coach. I mean, if Drew Locke's good, they've got everything in place now with, I mean, offensive weapons for days. Two, two outstanding talent running back who... A diverse in Philip Lindsay and, and, and Melvin Gordon. You know, you've already got a, a really good dynamic young receiver in the building already, and then you have KJ Hamler to that, and 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 particularly the um, particularly Jerry Judy, who was my favourite player in the draft, probably. So, I mean, the the Broncos, and and you've got Fangio's defense, which you, which is always really good, and Cortland Sutton was the young receiver whose name wouldn't come to me, like. That that one was a really good one for me, and and I like the way they've almost realised they have to fight fire with fire to win their division. And you should always be thinking about winning your division when you're putting a roster together. I also like what the Bills did, and I feel like I'm the Bills' biggest cheerleader, which is weird given I spot another team in the AFC East. But 
yet again, just a, a team where every time they make a decision, I can see the logic behind it and you can see what they're trying to build. And I thought that was a continuation of that. But I think I think we both agree, Si, and I'll let you break it down, that one team in particular, and it isn't the Miami Dolphins, Si. It isn't. I thought, look, I, and I, I just want to you know, touch on four or five teams actually very briefly, but I thought the Baltimore Ravens just did, I just thought they won the draft in terms of what they were able to do. And look, grading drafts two days after it finishes is it is fairly ridiculous. And realistically, we should be doing this for, for three years. But I think, you know, given what we know about the players in college football, um, I think the job that Eric DeCosta and his team did was just, was, was masterful. I, I put in the... Um, on the Gridiron um, Weekly that you know if this draft was a, a painting they'd, they'd hang it in the Louvre it was that good um, and I just think all the way through <clears throat> Patrick Queen J.K. Dobbins Malik Harrison Great Valley Devin Duvernay just fits the offence even down to the two seven rounds picks James Prochet and Gino Stone you know I thought Prochet was just a you, you put on the table James Prochet against Tulsa you know he, it's very rare that either in college or professional football you say that a, a single player wins a game but, but James Crochet won that game for SMU in overtime. I thought Baltimore did just did an amazing job. And having watched, I, um, I think they drafted Ben Bredesen as well. Having watched him, they did several they years did. at Michigan. He will start in the NFL. I'm convinced. Of. You get a four year start from a school like Michigan at left guard. I mean, you know that's that, that's that's a great um, a great day's drafting. I thought the Cowboys did really well. I think they got a bit lucky with CD Lamb. They probably didn't expect him to fall into their lap. But you know. You lose Byron Jones, Trayvon Diggs, you get Reggie Robinson. Tyler Biadach was a first-round talent last year who suffered with mediocre play this season and probably caused by an injury. Uh, some teams were concerned about whether or not the injury was um, going to affect his career moving forward. So he was tremendous. Fan. He didn't become a bad player overnight. Bradley and I uh, was, was superb at the senior bowl. Had three sacks in the senior bowl game, uh, as well as a good career at Utah. Uh, I think he had the best hands of any pass rusher in the draft. He'll be an excellent sub-package pass rusher. Um, I thought they did a really good job. You mentioned Denver. I, I thought Indianapolis did really well. You know, look, again, without a first-round pick that they gave up for DeForest Buckner, who becomes the cherry on the top of what was already a really nice draft, you get yourself Michael Pittman, you know, who could be Michael Thomas, he could be Brandon Marshall, and you get one of the, the greatest running backs in, in college football history, in Jonathan Taylor, to pair with Marlon Mack, who is really good but can't consistently stay healthy. You throw in Blackman, Danny Pinter, Robert Windsor, Jacob Eason, you know, who surely spells the end for Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I thought they did a great job. I thought Jacksonville, I thought Dave Caldwell, free from the shackles of Tom Coughlin, hit it out of the park. You look at his first five picks, CJ Henderson, uh, Caleb on Chason, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Devon Hamilton, Ben Barch. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that is outstanding. I mean, that is absolutely outstanding. You get yourself a developmental quarterback in Jake Luton on day three, Shaq Quarterman, a, you know, a complete leader of the team at the University of Miami. You know, but those first five—you know—if if those first five picks can contribute early and often, that could be one hell of a, one hell of a haul. For uh, it might even be a career-saving haul for Dave Caldwell. I, I think Caldwell's going to be an interesting case study. Like, just say the Jags hmm. get, just say he gets fired after this year because the Jags have, have have ended up with the first overall pick, which is a real possibility. If you look at Caldwell pre-Tom Coughlin coming in in terms of the picks he made. Outstanding. I mean, as good as any draft run over that period. I mean, we all talk about how talented that Jags roster was. I'm aware that it broke down. I think Tom Coughlin, based on him being fired last year, was a big reason it broke down. Um, yeah. But then some of the picks after that, are when Coughlin's involved, apparently Coughlin drove the Leonard Fournette pick, for example. Now we get back to Coughlin being out of the building, and this looked a little bit more like those drafts we saw when 
Well, the, the year was it Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack first and second round yeah. that year always stands out for me. I mean, I think Caldwell is a talent evaluator, is extremely good. I question whether he has some of the other skills that you want in a general manager. Certainly in thinking about the composition of characters in a roster and, and being able to manage that side of it. But as a talent evaluator, I'm not sure you can really quibble with the job that he's done, certainly at the point when he's been kind of on his own as the decision maker. Absolutely. Speaking of other decision makers that have had a sort of troubled past in a way, I think Rick Spielman continues to, to be one of the most underrated GMs in, yeah. in football. The, the job that he did with Minnesota's draft, you know, two of our favourite players, Justin Jefferson, Jeff Gladney in, in, in round one. But then, he, you know, Ezra Cleveland, Cameron Dantzler. You throw on the tape of Cameron Dantzler. I know he ran a 4.63 at the combine. Throw on the tape of him in the SEC. I mean, you know, Jamar Chase won the Belitnikov. He caught one pass against Dancer. Dancer absolutely shut him down. Jamar Chase is the top five pick next year. James Lynch, the Baylor defensive tackle, I thought, you know, fast, quick hands. I thought that was a really nice value pick. Kenny Willickers in the seventh round. You get a developmental quarterback in Nate Stanley, you know, who could be potentially drafted, uh, could be potentially uh, groomed behind Kirk Cousins. And then I thought the two, I thought the two New, New York teams uh, did really well. I thought Dave Gettleman, you know, stuck to what he likes. He, he got Andrew Thomas and Matthew Peer. I think they can be bookend starts for a decade for that team. And you build around your strength. You've got Daniel Jones, you've got Saquon Barkley. Now let's protect those guys, certainly in the passing game and then in the running game. Uh, you know, I think Peer is a really good, a really good player. Xavier McKinney, great value. Gives Patrick Graham a really flexible piece on that defense. Um, and then you pick out, you know, Carter Coughlin of Minnesota, Tay Crowder of Georgia, who's the final pick. Shane Lemieux should, you know, Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux should be the, the starting left side for, for 10 years for the Giants. And then Joe Douglas, first ever draft. Um, and I thought he played it absolutely brilliant. I didn't think it was a single bad pick. I think Mackay Beckton has a little bit of boom or bust potential. His weight is going to be an issue, obviously. But, you know, uh, some of the issues that they have on the back end uh, in the secondary, they traded a, a six-rounder for a former second-rounder in Quincy Wilson, who I loved coming out of Florida and, and baffled us for why he hasn't trained on. Bryce Hall from Virginia, a pick 158. If he hadn't broken the ankle, he's a top 45 player in, in the draft, at absolute worst. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that, you know, those were some of the teams that I thought just did an outstanding job across the three days of the draft. Superb stuff, Si. And just to remind everybody, everything that we've done over the draft in the last few days has been powered to a degree by Betfred, who we've partnered with for the 2020 NFL draft. Have a lot of futures markets now. And this is actually a great time to to have a look at those. You know, if you've got a couple of theories now, you, the, the betters won't necessarily have reacted to that. So check those out. It's terms and conditions apply, 18 plus only on begambleaware.org. But as you can hear, Simon Clancy's passion for this remains as strong as ever. I know for a fact he spent the last day and a half beginning to break down 2021. You can actually read draft stuff from him every week now in the Gridiron Weekly for as long as we do it. I think the more we go on, the more we think it might become a, a permanent fixture. So so please check out that and, and enjoy Simon's started draft. With, uh, started with defensive ends yesterday. Gregory Rousseau of Miami and then Hamilcar Rashid of Oregon State, who I'm a huge fan of. And Rousseau, so much talent, could be a top five pick next year, so... They could be coming to a Gridiron Weekly piece very soon. The, so grind, the grind begins again. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, check that out. And uh, we, as a two, will be back alongside Will Gavin. We'll be sprinkling in some Ollie Hunter again soon as well. But, yeah, thanks for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show. 
Matthew Sherry, Simon Clancy with our Gridiron Show post-draft look. We've got loads of great content coming to you in the off-season and please take a chance to check out the weekly magazine uh, which is uh, you, a- available to subscribe to now, the online magazine. Uh, there will be you know, fantastic versions of the print and monthly magazine coming out as well. So continue to support what the guys are doing. Head to at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram and please do go give us a rating wherever you uh, listen to your podcast because it does help people find the show and just a final reminder we have partnered with betfred for all of our 2020 nfl draft coverage so if you want to start looking at your markets for the season now maybe you want to start looking at who's going to be offensive and defensive rookie of the year who's going to go to the super bowl who's going to be next year's number one overall pick head to betfred now for the best markets available terms and conditions apply be gambleaware.org thank you so much for listening this has been the gridiron show